And we're going to start in verse 16. <laughs> Once as we were on our way to, to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us cried out, she cried out, These men are proclaiming to you a way of salvation, our servants of God, the most high God. She did this for many days. Well, Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. I almost envisioned that it was like a little, you know, a little asparagus from VeggieTales. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, well, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone into the, in the house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrates sent the, peop the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come now and, and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial. Although we, were, we are Roman, Roman citizens and threw us in jail. And now are they going to send us away secretly? <laughs> Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them and escorting them from prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, though, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open up our eyes and ears to hear and to perceive the, the things that you want to tell us here this morning. Engage with us, Lord, in, in, a, in a message that is not typically Christmassy. But Lord, I pray that we would see how it really is, how it is the, the fullness of the glory of the manifestation of you, that it is the fullness of the incarnation and, and the purpose of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh to save all mankind. 
And Lord, I pray right now as we, as we discuss these words, Lord, I pray that you would stir in us a desire to change our minds. Lord, to see our identity, to see the church in a new way, to see your desire for your people in a new way that maybe might, might, uh, might transform some of our thinking and to see the glory and the power of who you are and the glory and the power of who you are within us, your church, your ecclesia, your bride, your body, your, your church, your joy, your people. We are here to hear from you, Lord Jesus. Speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is a, a story uh, that I read in, in, my, in my commentary about this guy named, if I can get the name right, Gaius Verus, and this other guy named Cicero. In the early, early Roman Empire, in the time before Jesus came, about the time of Mark Antony and the whole Julius Caesar debacle and, you know, kerfuffle with Julius Caesar, you know, where he gets stabbed to death. During that time of transition, the, I think even before maybe there was a Caesarship, there, was a, there were people in politics. And if we know anything, you, you know where the, the word politics comes from, right? It's, it's a Greek word. Poly, meaning many, and ticks, meaning blood-sucking inch- insects. Oh, God. <laughs> and yeah. so politics has always been this, this almost sense like a war, but it's a cold war. It's a, it's a war of gossip. It's a war behind the scenes, you know, money and, and power and, and deals and, and you know, wingding and all just like kind of these uh, just kind of grifting one another type thing in order to appease one another and to get power, to attain power and prestige and power and, and money and wealth and, and, and influence. It's always been this way, all the way back to the Roman Empire. In fact, this is probably where we get it in America. Uh, but... Politics back then were in in the Senate and in the in the whole system of government were so corrupt, and you could get into positions of power by family names, by money, by wealth, by already existing power, by influence. And there was a guy named Gaius Verus who was you know going up through the ranks, and he became a governor of the area in in Sicily, and he. Well, you know, attained to this place, this position of power, and he, because he thought he was by himself, like he didn't really have the, the eyes of Rome looking at him. There was no internet back then. There was not a whole lot of instant reporting of how things were going, and he was awful. He would like impose taxes, and he would actually like abscond with people's property so that he could own, basically owned all the land of Sicily, in a sense, to himself. And he, he just, he wielded such heavy, heavy burdens on the region of Sicily in order to make more money for he and his family and, and to get into growing more power. Well, the, 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 the townspeople knew about this, this one up and coming uh, guy in, the, in, the, in Rome named Cicero. And they, they sent a party to him and said, please, please help us. There was a guy that even he wouldn't move off his property or give you know, Gaius Verus anything of his property, and he had him crucified. A Roman citizen. A, that's illegal <laughs> for them. It was against their laws, and everyone knew it, but they felt powerless to stop it. Do we, we feel like that? 
there's things going on in our in our America, in our government, in our city, in our in our nation that we feel are evil and completely against the laws of our nation, but we're powerless to do anything about it. What can I do? Right? And I think that's that's fair to, to any country, really. But but what the, so what Cicero did is he he kind of he gathered as much testimony, eyewitness testimonies, and evidence as he could. And then they came before the Senate where Gaius Verus would come, you know, all of them, all the governors came together and he stood up in front of everyone in the top levels of government, all the way up to Caesar himself, witnessing and listening to this and laid out an entirely criminating and just damning evidence against him. And so much so that he just, he exiled himself. He ran away and never came back. And eventually he, he, they did find him and they executed him, eventually. But this was the culture of the Roman Empire. But I want to point out something that became, which is why I'm sharing this about this morning, is that there was, it became a, uh, a saying that rotated around the, the Roman Empire. It was a saying that became part and parcel um, and a, a, dis, an ex, a, uh, a display of this, Wow, my vocabulary seems to be dwindling. <laughs> it was an, it's an expression of the culture around why you know, that Roman that Roman Empire would not crucify its own citizens ever, or torture them, or to give them, or to accuse them, or to ex- or to execute judgment against them, like even beating them with rods or or scourging or any sort of punishment, capital punishment without first there being a fair and just trial. And even then, it was most likely if they were going to be executed, it was quick and painless. It was usually being beheaded, which is why Paul was beheaded, because he was a Roman citizen. And so there became a phrase that was repeated. I am a Roman citizen. I am a Roman citizen. It's that word that he was crying out before his executioners nailed him to the cross, this, this gentleman in Sicily. He screamed, he cried out, but I am a Roman citizen. And it became a, a euphemism for you, what you're doing is unjust by what you're doing. And so that's what we're looking at in this passage here is that we see Paul wielding the same rights as their unbelieving, non-Christian, Roman, Gentile fellow citizens in this, in this passage. But they thought they were Jewish. I mean, they were Jewish as well. But they were also Roman citizens. And not just a Roman citizen that like purchased their citizenship. Paul was born a Roman citizen, which was like, you know, if there's levels of Roman citizenship, he's like, at the top. And if you're like a slave that purchased your citizenship, you were like down here. It was kind of, you got the rights mostly. But like if you're a born Roman citizen, you were way up there. And so Paul, I want, to, I want us to see something very specific here this morning that I'm going to keep harking on. And I, want to, I, want, I think I want, us, I want us to maybe see our faith and to see the church in a different light here this morning. And it says, and it's this, as far as it depends on you, do what is right. As far as it depends on you, you do what's right. No matter what other people are doing. No matter what's trendy, no matter what, what the circumstances, even if they're bad on you are, even if they're good, if there's pressure, 
do what is right. And I want to ingrain that phrase into your mind. As far as it depends on you, do what's right. And we see this in, in, uh, in you know, Jesus' phrase. Love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So with this, we kind of, we kind of want to see this, this passage. When we look at passages like this in Jesus' you know, vernacular, when Jesus is quoting these things, Jesus is saying these things in Scripture, a lot of times we can, you know, like even this passage itself sets up this whole thing about like, you know, if you know, someone slaps you on the cheek, turn them the other one. If someone asks for your cloak, your cloak you know, give them your tunic also. If they ask you to go a mile, go too. It's like this bending over backwards to play, you know, to do, to be generous and to be loving to even those who believe you, who have posed themselves against you as, as your enemy. Because again, it's not, Jesus isn't saying like who you say is your enemy, like who you have made an enemy. He said, basically, don't make an enemy of anyone. It's basically like those who have set themselves against, up against you. Those are your enemies. Not because you are against them, but simply because they are against you. But as, long, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. That's what Paul says, right? And so we can look at passages like this in, in juxtaposition and contrast with what's going on with Paul here. Well, should Paul just like, you know, bend over and take it? Roll over and just take the punishment? And, just, and leave when they, they're finally letting him, like they're not going to try them further or have him executed? No, why? Because it's wrong what they did. What they did, what was, and what was it that they did? They didn't do anything wrong. They cast out a demon out of this girl, and yeah, it was not good for this person, but then they were falsely accused. They didn't do a trial. They were stripped you know, naked in front of the public, which was disgraced. And then they were flogged and beaten with rods. These guys were beaten down almost, to, what is it, severely beaten. Not just like, oh, psh, psh, psh. go to jail. These guys were like on the ground, bleeding, bloodied and bruised, possibly some broken ribs and, bro and you know, busted eye sockets. These guys were injured. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. It was evil. It was wrong. It was against the law. And Paul and Silas were not going to have it. The question is like, was Paul wrong? That's the question this morning. Was Paul, was Paul wrong? Should he have just rolled over and took it? Been a, pinch, a punching bag, a pin cushion. And that's what Christians are, aren't we? No. Paul had the ace of his sleeve. By Paul doing this, in, and in essence, he gained a value, valuable position for himself and then also by association, the church in Philippi. Because these words, remember those words of Sisera were, were reverberating in these magistrates' heads. But I'm a Roman citizen. The fear that would have been inflicted when they heard those words was beyond what we can even comprehend. They're like, oh crap, plus a bunch of other expletives. <laughs> I need a new tunic. I just missed myself. 
But Paul would have gained a valuable position for himself among the magistrates. But not only him, but by association, those he represented in the town. Because now he's associated to a church, and now he's leading people who knew what happened. And so the church in Philippi was probably pretty safe at this point. Because they had some valuable information that Rome might want to know. This, in a sense, guaranteed their freedom to practice and live their faith and be at peace in Philippi. And so here, I want to break this down a little bit. So what happened in this situation? So injustice happened. And injustice is a breakdown of shalom. And like we said, shalom is flourishing. Shalom is, is the way in which God designed the world to be. Whenever, you know, Jewish people say shalom to one another, it's basically saying the way in which God created the, you know, life in the garden to be, may that be to you. Like, not just a lack of conflict, but perfection, beauty, glory, walking with God in the cool of the morning, being engaged with the, in, in the spiritual realm and flourishing and walking with a lion as a pet, you know, <laughs> these kinds of things. Um, and injustice is anytime there's a breakdown of shalom, a breakdown of that flourishing. But injustice, in, I'm sorry, but justice, so when we think about the word justice, we're not talking like these, you know, justice warriors, like, justice, we're just fighting for justice, like fighting for a cause. This is basically, it is restoring that which was broken and making it right. Taking something that was, that sh- a piece of shalom that was broken and bringing it back and restoring shalom and rightness, a.k.a. righteousness. So that's what righteousness means, is rightness. Love your enemies, as Jesus said. Love your enemies is how you bring justice to the world. We don't bring justice to our enemies by condemning them, killing them, destroying them. What we do is we fight for what is right. And when righteousness rules out, righteousness wins. That's when shalom is restored. That's when love is fulfilled. Love your enemies. Remember that word love, agape in the the Greek or chesed in the Hebrew, is that steadfast devotion to what is good and right. Loving one another, it's the same thing. I am devoted to you for good and for what is right in your life. And and, And the way that I love you is to point you back to what is good and what is right. That's how we love. It's not just like, I feel good about you. I feel affection for you. No, it's like, I may, you know, be frustrated as all heck. I may just like, when I think of you, I look at you, like, you know, sometimes my children, I'm like, right? When we look at someone who's offended us, we're like, but how can I take that? And it may, it's not affection, but how can I look at that person and help them to restore what is good and right in their lives and in their relationships and in the world. They're doing things to themselves or they're doing things to others. I may not like them at all, but how can I still love them? This is how we can love our enemies. We're devoted to their good and to their righteousness, to their good and to their flourishing. 
Just because someone is a murdering pedophile drug addict, whatever, <laughs> we can still love them. We don't love what they do. We may not even like them at all, but we're devoted to them because God can transform their life. God can take that which is broken and evil and wicked and sinful and destructive and, and, and a life that is characterized by injustice, breaking God's shalom, breaking God's creation and creating havoc and ruin for everyone around them. But God can transform their life. God can restore them. God can make them from a shalom-destroying person to a shalom-bringing person. This is what love is. We pray, oftentimes we say this, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this statement is not just a simple Christian platitude that we plaster up on the wall and, or put on a painting or you know, slap on a, ha- a hashtag kingdom come on our Instagram. Hashtag blessed. It's not a platitude we just plaster on or use as a tattoo or a moralistic mantra. It is a real decree of culture. And a modus operandi, like an MO of the church. It's, it's a plan of action. It's a strategy. It's a culture that we're cultivating. It's a particular way or method of doing what we do and how we live. It structures everything. When we get through our mind, those words, your kingdom come. How does it come? Through you, through the Holy Spirit. Your will be done. How is that done? Through the Holy Spirit, through you. Love and rightness, righteousness. Not an arrogant, prideful, my way is right. My belief structure is right. My doctrine is right. It's doing that which is right, that which the scripture and through the Holy Spirit. It's a love and rightness through spirit and truth. Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon us, within us, and truth of his word. And the truth of what he speaks prophetically. The truth of what he speaks in and through us. Through us and through his, through his written word, his logos, and through, his, through our rhema, the spoken word. The kingdom of heaven is defined by love and righteousness, spirit and truth. That's why Jesus said, I have come my way, my truth, my life. I have come. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes and is is a member of the kingdom apart from me. Not Alan, but Jesus. (laughs) We, as citizens, fight to do what is right. We devote ourselves to the glory and the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. The living out the kingdom, truly inviting his kingdom to come through us, in us first, and through us, among us as this church, and through us as this church, to our city, to our culture, to our friends, to our family, to our coworkers. And his will 
is done in our lives and through our lives, in our church and through our church. Because remember, the word kingdom, not the word kingdom, but the expression of a kingdom is who? It's his people. And who are his people? Who, is the, who are the ones in charge? The ones in leadership. And what is the name of the leadership called? Ecclesia. Back in Roman times, there was, they would send the armies into a new region, like you know, the Germanic territories or English, Britain, and stuff like that. They would send the Roman armies in and that they would establish the rule of the Roman Empire. They were now Roman, Roman citizens. And, that, and the gospel that they would preach was repent for the kingdom of Rome is at hand. Metanoia for the Basileia, the kingdom of Rome, is at hand. You are being delivered from your meaningless, purposeless lives and war and, and bloodshed and now you're Roman citizens. You're now under the Roman protection, which for a lot of people was a huge success. People were yearning for this peace because of the tribal wars and the, the clans killing one another back and forth where there was like just a handful of people left because everyone had killed themselves. But for Rome to come in and establish peace was huge. And they welcomed it. They're like, yes, I will change my mind. I am no longer a Britain citizen. I am a Roman citizen. And other people fought against it, of course. Right? But they would establish the rule of the Roman Empire. Then they would bring in an assembly of people from Rome and then gather the people together to establish then the reign of the Roman Empire through the church, what's called the ecclesia. And it was a Roman term. Ecclesia was, you know, the church, the word church, ecclesia in our English, was actually a Roman word talking about a an establishment of the reign of a kingdom. And that's what we are. We as the church are the reign of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. The angels go before us to establish the rule. Christ's sacrifice on the cross went before us and the blood of Christ has gone before us to establish the victory over this world and establish now the rule of the kingdom of heaven. And now we as the church are coming behind and establishing the reign of of the kingdom of heaven in Belgrade, in the Gallatin Valley. And so we are the ones through scripture because of our God. Our God is the one who establishes and commands and sets the, sets the tone and the, and the and is the able is able to, is the, he's the one that says the truth of what is right. He gets to say what's right. Our culture doesn't get to say what's right. Washington doesn't doesn't, doesn't Washington doesn't say get to say what's right. Helena doesn't get to say what's right. City Hall doesn't get to say what's right. We get to say what's right because our God is the one who created truth. Our God is the one who created what is right. Righteousness, God's righteousness. And we get to tell them what's right. I don't say this as like a weird nationalistic, you know, like, where's rise up? What I'm saying is, remember who you are, church. Remember your calling. Remember your identity. Remember the power. He said, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Authority. And so, what are we called to do? We're called to love. How do we advance the kingdom? Love. The devotion to what's good and right. The devotion to someone's flourishing. And that includes our culture. That includes giving the truth to City Hall. That means giving the truth to Helena by living it. But what is love? Love is also accountability to do what is right. Love is accountability. Paul held the magistrates accountable for their own laws and regulations. They knew their rights as Roman citizens and they held them with honor for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't just roll over and take whatever they were given. Oh, woe is me. This is my cross to bear. They knew that their rights as Roman citizens, they knew their rights as Roman citizens and they held them in honor. Paul, here's the thing though. Paul was very strategic with how he um, wielded his Roman citizenship. He didn't wield it in Lystra when he was stoned and his body was dragged out of the city. But they did not suffer without purpose. But they also valued the spread of the gospel and the health of the church. But here's the thing. Like, I wonder if like Paul and Silas you know, had suffered, or Paul and Barnabas had suffered so much during their first missionary journey because he only really lived his life through his Jewish identity and didn't really know or hadn't really learned um, or, or become familiar with his rights and privileges as a Roman citizen. Until after that first and most difficult gospel journey where he suffered so much because he really didn't know what his legal rights were. He didn't know that he wasn't supposed to be beaten. He, wasn't, he didn't know that he wasn't supposed to be stoned without, without cause, maybe. Or how to stand up for himself in the midst of corrupt and evil Gentile believers. But now, maybe when he got back to Antioch, he told the story, and his Gentile brothers are like, wait, aren't you guys Roman citizens? They're like, yeah. Like, oh, come on, let's, let's open up the Roman to the... Here we go. This is called the Constitution. This is called the Bill of Rights. Um, but here's the thing, because love and humility do not and should not ever make you a pushover, a pincushion, a punching bag, or an easy target. Temperance is not timidity. Temperance is not timidity. Look at the words of Jesus. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd or wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Skipping on a few verses to verse 30, 23, he says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. Keep going. Be strategic. Don't just like roll over and take it. Get out of there. Be gentle and wise. Verse 23, he was basically stand firm. Wrestle against the enemy. Not the person, but the, but the spiritual entities behind the person. The principalities and powers. Keep fighting and advance the kingdom of heaven by doing what's right and good. Don't be aggressive. Don't be angry or malicious or slandering. Don't be rude, malicious, and savage like the world. 
Or as they say, the cool kids say, you know, don't be salty. That's still a thing? They don't, they don't, say, that, they don't say that anymore. What is, the, what is the word nowadays? I have no idea. Don't be based? Is that the, don't don't be basic. Basic is good. Oh, it's the other way. Sorry. Be based. It's like basted like a turkey or something? I don't know. <laughs> but be, do what is right. Do what is good. Bring flourishing. Don't bring what broke shalom to try to restore shalom through what broke shalom. First, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians ten. For although we live in the flesh, do not wage war. We do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's the thing this morning: these are the weapons of our warfare. This is the way in which we, we fight. We wield, we, you know, wield your citizenship of a lower earthly kingdom, aka America, or whatever nation you're a part of, to live and love as a citizen of a greater heavenly kingdom. Wield your citizenship of a lower earthly kingdom, which we are now. I've, I've got, my, got my ID, right? This is a lower earthly kingdom. In order to live and love as a citizen through your citizenship of a greater heavenly kingdom. Paul and Silas didn't let the magistrates off the hook or allow them to practice injustice. They held them accountable to treat them as their legal rights deserve. The church from country to country, like time to time, you know, from era from one era of time to the next, always needs to know and understand the rights and privileges and protections that they as citizens of whatever earthly kingdoms that they're a part of, so that they know how to live, quote unquote, quiet and peaceful lives, as the word says, quiet and peaceful lives for the glory and advancement of our heavenly kingdom. I mean, think about this. COVID. We shut down. Why? Because we thought our permission to worship came from the government. Churches all over the place. I mean, we, we're one of them, yeah. right? Yeah. We shut down for, a, a, like, what, a month and or so? And I said it then, and I'm going to say it again. I am deeply sorry. And you are hearing my full metanoia, my full repentance. I am renouncing what I did. And from now on, we will never, ever, ever shut down this church. We will worship. We will come together to worship. Why? Because the churches all over the country, including me, including us, cowered to threats. But we saw examples of churches who didn't. John MacArthur and Jack Hibbs and the churches in New York, right? They didn't. The churches all over the country and all the world stood up against what is a grave injustice and an overstepping of the laws of the American Constitution and the Bill of Rights? 
We need to do what is right. Even when people around us, the governing authorities over us, and the subordinates under us are unwilling to do what is right. Jesus Christ is Lord. Caesar is not. Jesus Christ is Lord. Biden is not. Jesus Christ is Lord. And hear me, church. Trump is not. Jesus Christ is Lord. And your boss is not. Jesus Christ is Lord. And remember this. I am not. It's God who gives us the authority to worship. And we will worship no matter the consequence. If we've learned anything from early church history is that truth. The church stood underneath God's authority and what God said, not what they were given permission by their governing authority to do or not to do. We will follow the Lord. As for shift, as for me and shift in this church, we will serve the Lord. Opposition and persecution occurs when we do what is right and those around us fight against that and do what is wrong. Remember, as far as it depends on you, do what is right. Paul wielded Roman laws, protections, roads, and rights to further the gospel. He utilized the Pax Romana during this pivotal time in Earth's history. To, to advance the gospel. They had built roads everywhere. I've seen this map and it's incredible. And the roads that they built, oh my gosh. Like they would dig a trench, like along, the, the road is a trench that they filled with like rocks and then more rocks and then like shale and then sediment and then gravel and then put rocks on top. It was incredible. Like these roads were everywhere. They did such an incredible job with the infrastructure by their hands. And probably aliens, but you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. But he wielded these tools communication, letters, their citizenship, protections, everything. He wielded these things to further the gospel and to protect the church. Because the church had legal rights during that, those days. Because he loved the church and he wanted more people to come to experience the love of Jesus. So my question is, how do we as Americans wield American laws, protections, different forms of travel and communication, and our rights as American citizens to further the gospel and protect the church? Because we love the church. Because we want more people to come and experience the love of Jesus. Yeah, I hear that, that phrase. I even heard it on Friday night. You know, I'm thankful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we live in a country where we're free to worship you. We're not free to worship because the government says we're free. We're free to worship Jesus because he died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could worship him. It has nothing to do with the governing authorities. Our permissions don't come from governments on this earth, but from the highest authority the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Yahweh, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We need to have a healthy perspective of our honor and respect for our country and our love and devotion for our true citizenship in the kingdom of God and of Christ Jesus our Lord. 
This is our desire. Why? Why? Where, where do we get this kind, of, this kind of concept? We submit to governing authorities, yes. But where, where does this concept of the kingdom of God and, and its authority come into play? Isaiah chapter 9. This is the prophetic word of our Lord. This is the prophetic word about Jesus Christ. And it's read every, every Christmas. But hear it in this context of governing authority over our lives and through the church. This is his whole purpose. Starting, this is uh, chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light is dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you and they rejoice at har- as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have scattered their oppro- oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be buried as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. What And the what? Government, Government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor. That's a judge. Mighty God. That's a name for the leader, for the king. Eternal Father. That's a family lineage. And Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He's talking about the church. We, I'm sorry, he, he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom, that's us, to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. How do we pray and live as though your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven were an attainable reality? How do we co-labor with the Lord to advance the kingdom of God and of his Christ? Well, let's look at that. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. I'm going to end with with this section here. Because I want, like we were talking about, creating a culture, right? This is the culture in which God's kingdom is establishing here in the church. First Peter chapter three, verse eight. Finally, finally, all of you, shift church, be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. All of you, shift church, C three, River Church, Table Church, Journey. Abundant Life, Summit Church, The Church, you know, Connect Church, everyone, my believers, my people in your region, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic. All of you, love one another. All of you, be pa- compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may be, inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, the ones who do what's right, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. <clears throat> Second. do not fear them or be intimidated louder it's more effective do not fear them brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ or be intimidated but in your hearts regard Christ at the Lord as holy ready at all at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do this with anger vehemence mock mockery and ridiculousness and sarcasm oh is that the, not your version another one <clears throat> Do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Remember. <coughs> far as it depends on you do what is right no matter what comes against you no matter what temptations no matter what the world says no matter what the world or, or our lives or our, or our background or the voices in our head no matter what is what the world says is right no matter what our culture says is acceptable as far as it depends on you do what is right because it's better to suffer for doing good than it is for doing evil. Amen. So much better. God desires to fill you with his presence every single day. To lead you into all righteousness. And to lead you to live what is right. To live and to do and to practice and to say and to think what is right. He's inviting you into that. Why? So that you can live life and see good days. And even if you do suffer for doing what's right, you will be blessed. So as far as it depends on you, do what is right. Jesus, we thank you for your, for your word. We thank you for your spirit. God, we thank you for making us your people that we can come together to worship you because you have brought us near. You have drawn near to us, Lord Jesus. And wherever you are, wherever your spirit is, Lord, there's freedom there. And in that place where you are, we are free to worship you. Whether through worry and fear or through peace and security. Whether it's the church here in America or the church in China. No matter if it's during times of peace and safety or times of pandemic and government overstep. Lord, you are our God. You are our Lord. You are the authority in our lives. You are the authority of this, over this world. You are the wielder of truth. 
So God, help us to live in that truth. Help us to walk in your way, in your truth, and in your life every day as we walk by the power of your Holy Spirit. Empower our lives, Lord Jesus. Help us to receive that power through the everyday ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing, Jesus. Empower our steps, empower our thoughts, and empower our words and our actions to do what is right. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.